0: All right, well good morning again and happy new year again. It is 2024 and I think for all of us this is just kind of a natural time to take stock of where we are, think about you know how things are going in life, maybe think about some things we want to accomplish in the next year. Uh, maybe some of you guys are starting new diets or, or thinking about exercising, getting in shape. Uh, personally, I am hoping that this is the year I make my comeback from basketball retirement. Uh, One of my goals this year, I know, yeah, all right. One of my goals this year is to play some basketball, although my biggest, my number one goal is to not get hurt playing basketball. And so we'll see how that goes. But whether you are a New Year's resolution type or not, uh, this is always such a good time to reflect on and take stock of our spiritual life to consider ways that we might grow and deepen our pursuit of kingdom life in the coming year. And because of this, for the past couple years, January has become just kind of a time of year for us here at CBC where we look at uh, different important spiritual practices, ways of living that are in line with Scripture. And we want to make it a goal for us to start every year with some kind of tangible way of pursuing growth and so this year for the next month or so we're going to talk about something that is deeply important but also kind of terrifying we are going to talk about money finances earning money spending money saving money giving money now I know that probably for a lot of you maybe most of you this isn't something you really want to talk about at church some of you might be eyeing the exits like can i sneak out of here before he sees me conrad and nancy are like oh he sat near the front today we can't sneak out right now i i get it hey this is kind of an uncomfortable topic it's something that's challenging it's private it can be divisive divisive and really let me just start off by saying this it is challenging for us too this is a hard topic for us to address, for us to preach on, not just because it's a sensitive issue, but really because this is something that we struggle with, too. It's hard to talk about, it's hard to preach on, because this is something that we wish uh, we were doing better. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, one of my first real experiences with money was as kind of a young teenager, And my mom started to give my sister and I a a pretty generous monthly allowance of $100. And, you know, this was back in the 90s, so that was a lot of money. And this included money, right, for any extra food that we wanted to uh, buy at school or with friends. This was money for clothes, to go out to the movies. You know, this was basically our spending money. And every month, on the first day of the month, I would get $100 And every month, by about a week into the month, I was out of money. I just, you know, I just was really good at spending money. Maybe if I pushed myself really hard, I could make it like halfway through the month. But, you know, I was never really able to save or think ahead. And, you know, it was just, there were so many things that I thought I needed, but really didn't. I would spend money on food, on on, on clothes, on, you know, whatever I, I felt like I needed to do that week. And my mom always loves to tell this story, but on the other hand, my sister Tracy never spent any of her money to the point where by the end of high school, she had thousands of dollars saved up. And so she got to go on an amazing trip to England with all this money she had. And of course, I got no trip because I had no money. (laughs) But really, this has been a, a challenging pattern in my life. I like having money. I like spending money. And while I've certainly learned and grown a lot since I was you know, 14, 15, 16, I am far from an expert on this topic. And I think at the end of the day, all of us as leaders, as preachers, we would admit that we are, uh, we have a lot of different flaws in this area, a lot of uh, habits and and beliefs that aren't aren't perfect. But the reality is, as much as you might not really want to hear about it, and we might not really want to talk about it, to ignore it is a huge mistake. Because the Bible makes it clear that this is a really big issue. This is a non-negotiably massive topic in Scripture. Here's a question. Uh, The answer should be pretty obvious, given what we're talking about. But what do you think is the topic that Jesus taught about more than anything else in his ministry? In his time on this earth, what did he address more than anything else? It's not prayer. It's not love. It's not grace. It's not heaven and hell. And Not to say that those things aren't important, but more than anything else, Jesus talked about money. How we think about our stuff. What we do with our stuff. So this matters. There's no escaping the fact that money is really important. And so our goal for this series, let me be really clear, is not to beat you over the head with obligation and burden. We don't want to make you feel guilty. Our goal is definitely not to tell you specifically what you should do with your money. This isn't a financial planning series. I'm not going to tell you what to spend on, what to do, what not to do. And the goal of this series certainly isn't to convince you to give us more money. I know that can be kind of an iffy subject in church because of the nature of giving and our salaries and how that all works, but I promise there isn't a capital campaign or pushy tithing message on the horizon. Instead, the goal of this series is just to have an honest conversation about what Scripture says about money. To listen to what the Bible says acknowledge that it's important, and try to figure out ways to do our best to live faithfully in an area of life that Jesus says is important. And so this morning, as we just kind of begin to explore this topic, as we just introduce this series, we're going to dip our toes into the world of faith and finance. Uh, We're not going to get into any specific topics today, but we want to just begin to wrestle with how Jesus views money and the kingdom. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look today at a pretty challenging passage. This is a a little bit more challenging than you might expect for an intro message, because this is a passage that, if we're honest, makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We read these words, and, and maybe we cringe, we feel a little bit resistant But this is a perfect starting point because it tells us precisely why this conversation about money is so important. So Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. But sometimes, I think even after hearing it many times, we, we miss just how crazy this moment would have been. Right? Imagine being with Jesus when this happened. Like, This guy is trying to build a movement. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's inviting people to receive this good news. And to this point, we know that Jesus has accepted the poor, the sick, the leper, the prostitute, the tax collector, the sinner. He has dined with them, welcomed them into fellowship. And then this man comes, who by all accounts is a slam dunk candidate for kingdom life. This guy is a first-round pick in the guys who you want to join your church draft, right? He is a devout Jew, obeys the Torah. There is a clear sense that he has kind of a genuine reverence for God. He spent his entire life, since he was a boy, trying his best to live faithfully. He seems to have a positive view of Jesus and his teaching, And of course, he was rich. In Jesus' time, his wealth would have been seen as a sign that he was a good person. People would have assumed he had lived a good life and had earned the favor and blessing of God. And yet Jesus doesn't say, hey, come join the party. Welcome in. Let's go have dinner at your place. He doesn't even just say, you know what? Come follow me We'll figure it out on the journey. You're not there yet, but you're at a good starting point. Just just come on. He says, before you do anything else, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And we read this passage, and the rich man's response is pretty understandable. I mean, how many of us would kind of do the same thing walk away sadly and there's a sense right like jesus you're asking so much how is this guy supposed to obey why is the standard so high you can almost feel the disciples kind of thinking the same thing like jesus are you sure like we could use this guy we could be eating a lot better than all that leftover bread and fish if we bring him along. Maybe just ask him to give half. Maybe he could, maybe he could keep his, his house or, or a few of his things. Why? Jesus. Jesus doesn't relent. In fact, he doubles down, saying this to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's so hard, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom. Now, let's be honest. On the list of things we wish Jesus never said, this is pretty high up there. Because this speaks pretty directly into our context. This speaks into our lives. See, whether or not we want to admit this, an overwhelming majority of the people in this room, of you and I, are relatively wealthy. And obviously, I don't know your exact financial situation, and and everyone has challenges of their own when it comes to money. And I really don't want to get into the semantics of what it means to be rich, how many cars you have, how much exactly you make. But the reality is, given where we live and what most of us have, it's safe to say that we are far more like the rich man in this story than the lepers and widows and orphans that he's contrasted with. So what does Jesus mean? What is he saying about wealth and faith in the kingdom? And most importantly, what does that mean for us today? Now I'm going to answer that question in a second, but first let me just address kind of some mistakes that we make when it comes to this passage. Uh, I've talked about this before in, in different sermons, but with a passage like this, we have a tendency to both overapply. And underapply. And when we overapply this passage, we say something to the effect of hey, this is true across the board. You cannot be rich and be a Christian. Money and possessions are evil. Poverty is good. In order to be saved, in order to be obedient, in order to be experiencing the kingdom, those who are wealthy should always be giving away their stuff. We have to strive for poverty if we want to follow Jesus. Now, I think this view is a little bit less common in the church today. Uh, I mean, no judgment, but based on our parking lot, I think most of us feel comfortable having some decently nice possessions, right? We, we're not giving away everything. But even if we don't live this way, even if most of us don't think we have to sell all of our stuff, I think some of us actually deep down kind of fear that this is what Jesus means, And one of the reasons why we don't want to talk about money in church, one of the reasons why we really don't want to go there is because we're afraid if we do, somebody's going to tell us to get rid of all of our stuff. Somebody's going to tell us we have to strive for poverty. I think one of the dangers of this view is it sets such a high bar that a lot of us just kind of give up or toss it aside before we even begin to try. But the reality is, is that this command isn't for all of us all the time. And we really just need to look at the larger picture of Scripture to see this. Right? There are lots of passages throughout the Bible that tell us that earning money, making money is good, enjoying the fruits of our labor is good, that accumulating and gaining possessions is a normal part of life. There are countless examples in Scripture of faithful, kingdom-focused people who are wealthy. And in fact, the New Testament church was filled with people who are both rich and poor. And the rich are never condemned simply for being rich. Perhaps most importantly, one of the things we should notice is that Jesus doesn't tell everyone who follows him to sell all their stuff. And so again, we don't want to overapply this passage and say that money is always evil, that we always have to sell everything we have to follow Jesus. But the other mistake is just as important and I think probably more relevant for us. And that mistake is to underapply, to dismiss this passage entirely. To say, and this is impractical, it's unrealistic, uh, I'm not rich, or I'm not that rich, or this isn't for me. Uh, the easiest thing to do, to do when we read this passage is simply to say, it doesn't have anything to do with me. See, both of these extremes lead us to the same result. They lead us to kind of ignore Jesus' teaching on money, to hide away that part of our life and faith and pretend that everything's fine. And so the question we have to answer, again, is what is Jesus really saying? What does this mean for us? What demands does it place on our life and our faith? And the answer that comes from this passage, I think, might be one of the, if not the, most important principles for Christians and money. It's so simple, yet so challenging. And it's that money makes life in the kingdom harder. Again, super simple. Money makes life in the kingdom harder. More specifically, the wrong attitudes about money can truly and completely undermine our commitment to living for the kingdom. And this is the truth that I want us to wrestle with today. The point isn't that having money, even having a lot of money, automatically disqualifies you from entering the kingdom. But the truth is that so often, money is the greatest barrier to obedience. Money, perhaps more than anything else, prevents us from really pursuing and experiencing kingdom life. Uh, Some of you might remember that last January, uh, we did a series on Sabbath. Uh, We talked about this invitation to rest, to slow down, and kind of experience this joy of trusting God with our our time and our schedules. And it was interesting, you know, in the aftermath of that series, I had a lot of conversations with people about this idea of Sabbath, and just kind of probing and asking people how they felt about it, and uh, what they were going to do about it. And the thing that I heard from so many people in so many conversations, whether it was just here at church or in small groups, it was almost the same thing to a It was like, man, that sounds really good. I wish I could take a Sabbath. I wish I could rest. I wish I could slow down, but I can't. I don't think that kind of life is possible for me right now. And it was almost heartbreaking to hear over and over again to hear people say that and and it wasn't as if people were saying I can't rest because I need more money. It's not as if these are people who are like money-grubbing, greedy people who just were like, i got to spend every moment acquiring everything I can. These were conversations with people who are faithful, who want to follow Jesus, who aren't overly materialistic. But the implication was always clear that we are so busy with work, with activities, with accumulating and managing our possessions, with preparing our kids to make money and be secure. Our lives are so centered around wealth building and wealth management that we don't have time to Sabbath or to rest. Now the problem, the big problem is, is that Sabbath is just the tip of the iceberg. Really, Sabbath is just one of many examples. This principle rings true in so many important areas of our life. Jesus invites us to obedience, to kingdom life, to, to practice and, and choose things that help us to experience blessing and his presence. And at the end of the day, so often we feel like we can't obey. It's not that we don't want to, it's that I, I don't have time, I don't have the energy, I can't sacrifice this or that to follow Jesus. And again, it's not because we love money necessarily. It's not because we consciously think money is more important than God. But it's because we feel controlled by it. Because at the end of the day, money has already taken its place as the ruler of our lives and our choices. A few years ago, I experienced this reality firsthand when I kind of, sort of, almost won $100,000. Not really, but kind of. Uh, See, as many of you know, I am an avid fantasy football fan. And as part of that fandom, I use this app called FanDuel for these contests that I'll enter with my buddy Josh. Now, just to be clear, promise you, I'm not spending money on it. I'm not talking about gambling in a sermon about money. These are all free contests that I use. But anyway, I signed up for this thing called an NFL survivor, survivor pool. Now this is way more complex than I'm gonna make it out to be, but just to simplify it, basically every week you choose one football team who you think is gonna win that week. So let's say week one I choose the Rams. If the Rams win, then I survive, I move on to the next week, but I can't choose the Rams anymore, I have to choose a new team. If I lose, I'm eliminated, I'm out of the contest for good. And so there are 18 weeks in the NFL season, and basically, if you make those 18 picks correctly, you would win $100,000 or a share of $100,000. Now, I joined this with no expectations. I actually joined it with Josh because we wanted to see which one of us could make it further. And for reference, he got to week three. But as the season progressed, somehow, I just kept winning. Uh, By the time week 10 rolled around, uh, I started to joke with Alyssa that I was going to buy her her dream kitchen, but I wasn't really taking it that seriously. But I kept winning. Weeks 12, 13, 14. Finally, I got to the point where I knew that if I picked two more games correctly, that I was going to win this prize money or a share of it. I could see on the app that out of the millions of people who had initially joined that contest, there was about 10 people left. And let me just tell you, it was insanely exciting. Like I thought about this nonstop. <laughs> I would daydream about like how I was gonna divvy up this money, right? Like how much of it will I spend? Or, or how much of it will Alyssa let me spend? What would we spend it on? How much would we save? What would we invest in? How could this change the fortunes of our future and our family? How could this give us more security, more freedom, more whatever? Now, on one hand, this makes total sense, doesn't it? Right? $100,000, at least for me, is a lot of money. And there are a lot of things that I could buy that I could do with that money that would have a very significant Positive impact on my life. There's no doubt about that. Jesus would not argue with that. But on the other hand, the way I responded to this, where my heart went, reflects a a deeper truth. Right? Without being really conscious of it, it, it had awakened in me this belief. Right? This belief, this certainty that the most significant factor in my future. My happiness, my well-being is money. Now, obviously, I didn't end up winning, (laughs) but it was eye-opening. And I kind of reflected as I came down. I was like almost coming down from a high. Like, man, I really went crazy there for a second. I was thinking about it all the time. But what does that say about what I think matters? And I think deep down, right, we all believe in some version of the FanDuel principle, if I just had this much more, if I had a hundred thousand more two hundred or a million, or if I just got that raise, or if I just had this job, or if my my kids got into that school or had that job with that salary, or if I had this much for retirement, if I got to this certain amount, then I will be okay, and I can't really focus on kingdom life yet until I get there, I'm, I'm kind of a slave to that number. And look, I know what you're all thinking. This makes sense. This is how the world works. We need money to get by. We live in the world with inflation and shrinkflation. We live in a world with crazy home prices and crazy gas prices. And a, a combo at Carl's Jr. is like $14 now. They're like, of course, we need money. It just makes sense to us that this would hold the key to our future, that money and possessions are what we devote our time and energy to. It seems so naturally to think this way. And yet, this is precisely why Jesus told the rich young man to sell his things. Because what he understood about him and what he understands about many of us is that this man was enslaved to his money, money was his master. It defined him, it controlled him, it affected his thinking and his desires and ultimately his willingness to follow Jesus. And Jesus isn't saying you you can't have anything. He's not saying that you must always be poor to be a disciple. He's not even saying that you can't have dreams and goals and pursuits that are related to money. But he's saying before you can truly follow me, before you can have the eternal kingdom life that you want you have to free yourself from that control. See the truth is that what the rich young man what he really needed more than anything else and what Jesus wanted to give him was salvation from money. See this challenge it wasn't a punishment it wasn't a test Instead, Jesus was offering him the pathway to freedom. And the rich man's response is is obviously sad, but it's not a reflection of Jesus being cruel or harsh. What the rich man's response shows us is, is the cruelty and power of money. See, this is a person who knew something about who Jesus was. He had this sense, right, that this guy held the keys to eternal life. He might have began to believe that he was even the Messiah, that following him held some kind of hope. He had been waiting for someone like this teacher probably for his whole life. He knew the scriptures. He knew someone like him was coming. And yet here he is standing before this this very man with one simple choice, and he can't do it. He can't do this one thing. Because the sad truth is the more money you have, the more time you spend believing that money is the most important thing, the harder these choices become. The harder it is to break free. And this is why Jesus talks about money so much. This is why Jesus is always honest about money. The one thing Jesus never pulls his punches about is this one topic. This is why he talks about it more than anything else. Because while money isn't necessarily evil, what Jesus knows is it is dangerous. And our commitment to money, our our faith in money, our hope in money is probably the biggest threat to our commitment, our faith, our hope in Jesus. And at the end of the day, Jesus simply wants more for us. He wants us to be free to truly follow him. He wants us to be free to experience all that he wants us to experience. And that really is uh, the reason for this series. We want to talk about these things that matter to Jesus. We, We don't want to be afraid to go there because he wasn't afraid to go there. And so really, as we begin this morning, this series, uh, this morning, I want to ask you really just to do one thing for today. It's not hard. That's pretty hard. But it's not not really all that complicated, but it's simply to be open. And, And it is a big step to be open to the possibility that maybe some change in this area, some change in how we think about money, Maybe some change in how we use and handle our money. Maybe some change in how we talk about money in front of our, our families, our kids. That's maybe some of that change could be good. That maybe there are certain ways that God wants to set you free from slavery to a certain way of thinking about money. And I promise you, the easiest thing to do As it always is, with any sermon, with any truth from Scripture, the easiest thing to do will be to just kind of run from the topic, to resist change, to pretend it's not that big of a deal, to spend all of your time thinking about how this would be a good message for that person or that person or that person. It's easy for us to kind of hide away our hearts and just protect the status quo, especially with something that matters to us so much. But I do think there is real blessing that can come out of just being real about this. And honestly, our commitment to you is just to do our best to present the truth of Scripture. Um, Again, we're not experts, but we want to just walk uh, on this journey with you together. Um, So before we close, let me just end with this. And I I promise this will be quick. But we don't want to forget that there's kind of an end to this encounter with the rich man. Uh, He walks away, sadly, and and the disciples are troubled. You can sense that they're thinking about kind of their own salvation, their, their own future, and they're wondering, Jesus, like, how can anyone be obedient to such challenging teaching? How could anyone possibly live this way? Verse 26, it says, The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And in verse 27, Jesus responds, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And it's funny, right? We we reference this uh, passage for all kinds of things, right? Like, I want to win my baseball game. All things are possible with God. Or I want to try to do this or this or this or this. But what this passage is talking about is something very specific. Jesus is talking about one very clear, impossible task the challenge of living out the kingdom despite the challenges of wealth. And what Jesus, in a sense, is saying is, hey, listen, you can't possibly do this. Money is so powerful. Your chances of following me this way in this money-crazy world are basically the same as a camel passing through the eye of a needle. But in spite of that, the reality is you aren't doing it alone. It's not up to your power. It's not really about the odds. It's about the power of God in your life. It's about what happens when God speaks and works miraculously in your heart. In fact, he's pointing ahead and he's saying, it's about what happens when I die and rise again and set you free from the bondage of sin. It's about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power and gives you the ability to choose kingdom life over the flesh. See, we read this passage, and it's easy to think about how hard the challenge is before us, and that's natural. But really, the point of this passage is not the hardship of the task. It is what's possible through the power of God. And that's where we want to begin today with this possibility and promise. That God wants to work in your life. That God wants to bring you freedom. And we begin to experience this by inviting him to speak by listening and being open and ready to follow and go where he leads us in these impossible things he wants to do with our faith and our finances. Let's pray.